gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Things really suck, but you know what? If it wasn't for me, they would suck worse. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? Robert Scott Bell. No family making less than $250,000 a year will see any form of tax increase. That's a lie. That's just an outright lie. Why don't you tell the people the truth for a change? Robert Scott Robert Bell. Scott Bell. I don't know why people on the other side are so doggone stupid that they think that the federal government's going to produce jobs. Stupid is stupid does, sir. I want to see that we guarantee that this generation is healthier. If you want to go to a natural path or a homeopath, no, no, no. That's not approved by the government. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Boy, oh boy, I'm glad the doctor is back in. It's uh, Advanced Medicine Monday here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Dr. Batar. Last week, we, we, you know how it is, we have to condense so much into the one short hour that I think we left off very quickly on the blood pressure issue, and I know you were concerned that they didn't get the last part of what you said. I know it's a week ago, but heck, you can just listen to it like it's a minute ago because the archives are there for your download at Natural News Radio, Medical Rewind, through robertscottbell.com, all over the place. The question is, once you identify that blood pressure is an issue of toxicity, Metal toxicology, like we talked about, cadmium and other things, we also got to safely detox. That's exactly right, Robert. And that was a point that I wanted to say because I think we ended when I said about the dietary changes. And I mentioned about people could also read my book, and then you took it to the book. And I didn't want them to think it was a plug for the book because my point was that once you've done the dietary changes and once you've done the exercise, and if it's still an issue, then you need to find somebody who can effectively address the cadmium issue, the lead issue, if that's what you have. And virtually every patient that has the heavy metals removed from their systems, one of the first changes that they notice is uh, blood pressure and pulse rate changing. Mm. So that's really what they need to do. They, you, if you're concerned about blood pressure, make sure you address heavy metals. Yeah, absolutely. And we know with all of those metals, cadmium included, which was pri- primary among the culprits with the blood pressure in, the, in your practice that you've seen, uh, it, the 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 mineral the robbing of the base trace minerals like selenium is just is just huge and you, you can't counter anything when you've got no trace minerals in your body. You're absolutely right. In fact, with blood pressure issues, one of the most effective minerals that you can just take and see a result virtually within hours to maybe a day or two is magnesium because we are as a society magnesium deficient and the calcium magnesium ratios in our system are also off. So if you take a good quality magnesium supplement, not like a magnesium chloride, but more like a magnesium lysinate, a magnesium glycinate, one of those types, you will see a difference in your blood pressure. And then, of course, the other ones, as you mentioned, selenium, making sure that you have trace amounts off. The selenium is actually more vital from a, the cancer aspect and all these other aspects. The immune aspect is very important. But when you talk about cardiovascular, selenium is actually 
very important for the integrity of the endothelium to make sure that it maintains more of an elasticity and and not as rigid. So selenium has a very important role in that. Well, along but, with along with the silicon, of course. Absolutely, exactly, exactly. Well, one of the things that you can do immediately is magnesium to see a result, you know, quickly. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a long-lasting result with the magnesium. But it is a good place to start. Toxicity is the key. Mm-hmm. You remember, the heavy metals will cause a displacement of the essential minerals and trace elements. And then that displacement, so you've got the toxicity from the heavy metals, and then you've got a, a secondary level, or you can call it a secondary toxicity from the lack of the essential minerals that the heavy right. metals have displaced out. And so you need to be very cognizant of not only removing the heavy metals, but also replacing the lost minerals. Yeah, you've, you've nailed it by saying secondary toxicity. It's another way of saying that vicious cycle of uh, spiral down, leading, you know, one leads to another leads to another. So you have a deficiency, which leads to more toxicity, which leads to more deficiencies. And, you know, that secondary toxicity becomes a third, a third toxicity, a tertiary, whatever you want to call it. And you're never, it's never enough to just simply replenish if you're not cleaning house and getting the garbage out that the minerals are desperately trying to do as well. You're absolutely right, Robert. And in fact, if you add a third one to it, you know, I've said that the heavy metals cause problems in three ways. One, obviously the oxidative stress aspect that we know how that works, the rusting process. So the heavy metals have the toxicity aspect. Then the secondary toxicity is, as we just mentioned, that displacement of the essential minerals. And then you know, you're talking about the vacillation going back and forth. It's kind of like that rotation of, uh, you know, the domino effect. It starts one and then it cascades and then it keeps on going back and forth. But actually there is a tertiary mm-hmm. toxicity also caused by the metals. And that's an allergenicity component, which may not be as, as prominent as some of the other aspects of heavy metals because the oxidative stress and the displacement it affects everybody. But then there is a certain subpopulation that has a genetic polymorphism, a predisposition, if you will, for allergenicity to the metal. So then they end up having even, I mean, that's like adding insult to injury. They end up having even a greater negative effect from these heavy metals as if the first two weren't enough. So when you look at it from the oxidative stress, the displacement of minerals, and then the allergenicity component, these metals can have a tremendous impact on one's health. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you bring that up because that is often something that the docs, unfortunately, are chasing allergies. And yeah. it's so far down the road of manifestation of disease, and it's not to say it's not real, but it isn't in the sense of it's not the real problem. It's well exactly. down the road. That's exactly right. It's just a symptom, and symptoms are not the problem. Symptoms are the warnings of the problem, and this is one of the things I think you wanted to talk about today, if I remember right, yes. because this was one of the few shows where we had you did talk for about 15 seconds before the show started, and you said that it's cancer. Was it cancer survivors? Yeah, I, I don't know how we missed it last week, Dr. Batar, because, yeah, there is something evidently. It's been going 26 years now. I had no idea. National Cancer Survivors Day. And I'm thinking they got to rename this to, like, National I Survived My Oncologist Day because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the treatment for cancer that's killing people. That's a that, that's a good name. I don't know whether it would be very popular with the oncologists, but I think it would be a very appropriate. Uh, We're all about truth, truth in marketing and advertising. We got to talk yeah, marketing last week too. That's a good point. Yeah, we, we should actually talk to the Federal Trade Commission about that. That's a good point. Right, right. Come in and get your flu shot and get five point five times the number of respiratory diseases. Also from last week. So you know, there's a lot of things we can do to just paint the right picture for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's uh, interesting that they have this type of a cancer survivor day, and I would be interested in knowing are they are they 
separating those that have not done conventional treatment because it seems like the ones that have survived, and this is really, again, a very interesting conversation that we're having now, Robert, because it brings to mind one of my patients that is now 10 years. In fact, you know her, uh, Rosie. Yes. She was in my office this past week, and one of the concerns was that an oncologist told her that she needed to get worked up because they simply don't believe that she's still alive and you know, it's 10 <laughs> yes. years without any chemo and radiation. And they're, they've been pushing her, pushing her, and she doesn't really care about doing what they're saying. But she does want to have reconstruction of the area of a body that had some of the scarring and right. because it's caused some retraction in the breast. Sure. And hopefully Rosie doesn't um, mind me talking about this. But the point is that nobody wants to do this reconstructive surgery unless they get a biopsy and can see on the biopsy that there's nothing left. Now, this is 10 years out, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. And am I saying that she doesn't need to be checked? Of course, she needs to have proper checks, but she should not. They want to do a biopsy. They want to go in there and remove lymph nodes in her axilla. They did a PET scan and something showed up. And I said, you know, whatever you want to do, if you want to do something, we can do something. But for God's sake, you don't want to have the lymph node taken out. Well, her sister was with her, who's an attorney, and her sister wanted to make sure she understood the reasoning and the rationale behind it. And it probably took me three or four times of having to explain it that, listen, the lymph nodes are there to filter the body. If you take the lymph node out, now you no longer have the filter. And so you don't want to take the lymph node out. You want to do something, fine. We can do some kind of a treatment. We can do exactly what we did last time. We can you know, do all the different things that we do in our clinic to get a person better. But you don't want to start removing filters because once you remove the filter, there's nothing there to catch the debris anymore. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, you said National Cancer Survivor Day. And yet they're accosting this woman because she wants to do something aesthetically to continue her life. And she's 10 years out and nobody wants to do anything because they don't acknowledge that she survived the cancer. They just say, oh, you still got cancer. 10 years. Mm. And they gave her six months. They have a letter that was sent to her by registered mail by her surgeon that said, if you don't get the surgery done and get the chemo and radiation, I think they actually just recommended chemo to her, and, and don't have a mastectomy done, you are going to die in six months. A registered letter. Why, why is it that I get the feeling, Dr. Batar, that if she was on you know, the list as one of the folks that survived cancer, like for this National Cancer Survivors Day, that these groups would protest her inclusion in the list? Absolutely. And if she had had the chemo and the radiation and the standard therapy for cancer, she would be a poster child. Mm-hmm. You know, op- on the opposite spectrum, they would rejoice it. And, and she wouldn't have to have even survived that long. I mean... What is it? Official survival, I believe. If you survived five years beyond right. your five diagnosis, then you then you can legally say that it's a cure. A cure, but ten years out, not having undergone chemotherapy, radiation, or radical uh, mastectomy. Yeah, th- th- it doesn't count. So, if you're a survivor of cancer, but you haven't, you know, done what the oncologist wanted you to do, don't apply to this National Cancer Survivors Day because you're not going to be allowed to play with us. Well, it's funny though the the title that you came up with the national, national i survived my oncologist day yeah that's actually really funny <laughs> we maybe we can hook up ty he's good at making these posters like we did the uh, vaccine buyback program i'll ask him if he can put that together 
I actually have not seen that poster, but I saw some of Liam's posters, and they really are good. They tell the whole story. Oh, I know. Uncensored. That's what we do here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. It is Advanced Medicine Monday. Dr. Rasha Bittar is with us, and we got lots of cool stuff coming up we'll be talking about as well. Special uh, special news on a way to check out if you have heavy metals. It's non-invasive. We're going to let you know about that as well, how to find a doctor who's doing it. So stand by. The Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar continues after this short break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, put on your tinfoil hat. No, don't, especially if you're putting your head in the oven. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a big study out of the United Arab Emirates about aluminum. Dr. Batart, courtesy your wife. Thank you, Debbie. She sent us a really good article here about a study that confirms more of what we already knew. They are talking about the linking of aluminum foil to Alzheimer's, but specific cause of, let's say, accumulation using aluminum foil in cooking. Who would have thunk it? You know, what's amazing is, though, that there's a difference in the type of meat that the aluminum foil is being used with. Uh, as example, red meat, 89 to 378% increase with aluminum absorption or with poultry, 76 to 215% increase. So I would have never thought that the type of meat that's being cooked with the aluminum foil would actually have a change in propensity for the toxicity level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. That's a, a new angle on the... Uh, aluminum interaction here, aluminum toxicity, aluminum foil, which has been used and is still used a lot of times. They have a picture of you know people cooking a turkey with it and everything else, but it's adding to the metal burden of the body. Who thinks it wouldn't? I mean, this is something that should be patently obvious, but now as this comes out, it increases our concern for, of course, what we already know, that pretty much if you're alive today, I don't know where you could be on planet Earth and not have some level of heavy metal toxicity. Absolutely, and the factors that determine the level of the toxicity is the time of the food, how long that food has been in the oven with that aluminum foil, the oven temperature, the acidity and salt content of the food, and the meat content of the food. In other words, aluminum is apparently absorbed faster into fat. Now, we do know that the Alzheimer's aspect, there is a correlation, but it's actually the mercury that's the more significant correlation, but aluminum certainly is a very significant contributory component of Alzheimer's. Yeah, we, we definitely acknowledge that. Of course, we look to, like we talked about, the trace minerals being a, a very important, but we need to aggressively pull this stuff out. Now, I can utilize some homeopathics to help there, like the aluminum metallicum, which is the homeopathic form of it, but it's not the only thing I would do. And you, of course, utilize, Dr. Batar, more aggressive forms of chelation therapy. Exactly. And there are various indications for doing chelation, but I would say probably 20% of the people, 25% of the people that come to us, Robert, believe it or not, don't even have an issue. They just want to do it from a preventive basis. So there is a role for pretty much everybody. What you have to remember is that certain people have a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete metals, and those patient populations would be classified as non-excretors. Typical types of patients that would be classified as non-excretors would be cancer patients, Alzheimer's patients, autistic patients. They can't clear these metals. Mm-hmm. But even the people that can clear the metals, they would benefit from the treatment for any of these issues. And one thing to remember is just because somebody has one metal, that doesn't mean that's all they have. 
this is kind of like a cockroach. You see a cockroach, you know there's a thousand behind the walls. Right. These metals never show up single-handedly. They're always – if you see one, there are other ones that very, need to Yeah, be very, very good point here. And, what you know, interesting in this article, as I'm reading it now on the air here, the research team published microscopic photographs of the foil after it had been used for cooking food at 185 degrees Celsius for 90 minutes. And what the photos are showing, they say the damage to the foil caused by leaching – of the aluminum into the food. So not only do they find it in the food, but they see evidence that it's not just coming from any random place. They're actually seeing it come from the foil itself. So warning to everybody out there, if you're out there doing your cookouts, try to find a way to do a cookout over the summer with no aluminum. You can do that. You can do that. Well, it is something that I do. We use aluminum when we cook, and this certainly is going to change based upon this article because I actually did not think that the aluminum would have as big of an issue, but obviously we learn new things every day. Yeah, it's huge. Now we, we go into the idea of identifying it and, and it's one of the bigger questions I get when I'm out lecturing around the country and occasionally we'll get calls or emails in on this is like, how do I know if I am metal toxic? How do I know if my child has a mercury burden, a cadmium, aluminum, arsenic, lead? And for a long time now, you have been obviously a proponent of doing these challenge tests, which not not every doctor knows how to do, as we know, even within the realm of doctors that supposedly focus on autism. But there are technologies that are coming to the fore that are really exciting that may allow access to this kind of information without any invasive tests or without even, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but will it completely eliminate a challenge test? Will it reduce the reliance on it? Talk to me about this emerging technology we're going to reveal today. Well, I, I didn't even know we were going to talk about that today, Robert, but I'm glad that you brought it up. I know we talked about it off the air, but yes, there are conventional ways of checking for heavy metals that we know about urine challenge tests, fecal challenge tests, hair challenge tests, red blood cell analysis. But as I've said for well over a decade, maybe almost a decade and a half, and in fact that I said in front of the Congressional Subcommittee on Human Rights and Wellness that I testified in front of about nine years ago, that the only accurate way of assessing heavy metal burden in an individual is through multiple site tissue biopsies because that's the only way that you can really assess what's in the body. All these other tests that I just mentioned, the hair, urine, fecal, the red blood cell, all we're measuring there is what's actually being removed from the body. So when you do the urinary or the fecal, it's what's come out of the body. What's the hair? Hair is a dead excrement. Remember that hair is growing, but it's, it's dead. It's dead tissue. So we're measuring what's coming out. Hair is growing out of the body. And the, uh, the red blood cell studies, that's actually, again, looking at only within the red blood cells. It's not looking within the entire vector of the body at the level of metals that are in the body. So how do we assess accurate levels of metals in the body? Well, the only way is through tissue biopsy. But this new technology is using spectroscopy, using light, and has been calibrated right now just to look at the left hand, but using four different points through some very ingenious and futuristic technology is actually able to give you a accurate measurement of the tissue level of heavy metals, of essential minerals, as well as ratios of certain minerals and the oxidative stress level in the individual. Now, this is just the current module, but there are other modules coming down the pipeline, which I'm so excited about. Uh, I, I couldn't believe, first of all, that these people started 
with the toxicity aspect because they were going to start with hormones and of course I would have had no interest in this but they did the heavy metals and oxidative stress and minerals which is again right up my alley as you know Robert yes but the second module that they're going to be working on by the way this technology right now is not effective in picking up uh on people under the under the 90 pound weight okay so we're talking so- about 12, 13 years old, depending on the size of the child, 90 right. they, pounds. They basically say 12 and under that it, it won't work. It's, it's, it's The data is too skewed, so they're working on a module that will be accurate for children. But I think it has to do with tissue density sure, and, and sure. bone density. And the older we get, there's, there's different levels of densities, and that makes a difference with the tissue level. And the other aspect is that you have to know your blood type. You don't need to know the Rh factor, but you do need to know the blood type because when the – the spectroscopy technology is deciphering the levels, your blood type will have an uh, effect on it. So they have to calibrate for that. Fa- it's and, fascinating uh, how they take that into account as well because, you know, Dr. Diadamo has written extensively about, you know, unique differences in blood types as far as dietary needs or other. So this is also, as from a technological interaction with the body, they've assessed and there are different ways to uh, measure these levels accurately then. Right, right, they, because it will throw off uh, the result if you have the wrong blood type in there. And so looking at that particular module, I'm so excited because the next module that's supposed to be coming besides the children's module for the heavy metals and the minerals is a chemical module, which is to pick up chemical pollutants such as the persistent organic pollutants, the fluorinated hydrocarbons, the organophosphates, the benzenes, toluenes, and those such uh, types of substances. So it's very exciting that they're doing this. There will be other modules coming down the pipeline that will be looking at saliva and looking at other components, all that give you virtually instantaneous results. I say instantaneous because it takes about 30 to 45 seconds for the information to be relayed and then you know via the internet and come back and then give you the actual assessment. But there is a very quick onset of results that we have that now the clinician can utilize immediately. And uh, eventually they will also have using the same technology where you can actually do blood analysis with CBCs and chemistries, the standard blood testing, but you would need a couple of drops of blood to actually do that. But the potential of non-invasive testing, at least for the metals and the chemicals, is so amazing. The device looks like a small little handheld tricor from Star Trek. Oh, cool. So I think that's interesting that Don did that little theme that introduces yeah with the mccoy uh, bones you know and his tricorder sound it's in there now it's 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 more appropriate than ever that's right that's right so it's it is appropriate and so i have to thank don for that but um i think that this technology will revolutionize heavy metal testing because it allows us information that otherwise would not be there i'll give you an example of a case study that i think is really uh, illustrates this point sure, really well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious as all get out, as they say in the South. Well, this one, this particular, <laughs> do we have enough time? Or yeah, a couple of minutes, and we can take a break. But yeah, I want to get get this get this started. With case, uh, case, you said a case study on the analysis. Did they cross reference between a tissue sample? I mean, how did they confirm it? Well, here's what happened. This lady came to me from Chicago. She has been extremely ill. Has seizure like shaking episodes. Has not been able to lay down flat in a bed and sleep for a year and a half. Uh, muscle aches, pains, rashes over her body. It's just the list goes on and on and on. She'd seen, I don't know, harming doctors. They all thought she was psychotic. She was uh, depressed. They gave her all sorts of drugs, and everybody just thought she was crazy. Anyway, long story short, 
she goes to treatment and very difficult course of treatment. But around the seventh week, she turned the corner. And this is she was being treated almost like a cancer patient. We were treating her every day. She was supposed to be there for four weeks. She just didn't feel like she was ready to go home after four weeks. I thought she needed to be with her family. Long story short, which is already too long, I guess, <laughs> she is at the seventh week. She turns a corner. And we had done some uh, other testing, some electrodermal testing to see – uh, what was what else I may have been missing, and in actuality, she felt better after we did the heavy metal removals during the days that we did chelation. But she actually had a bigger mineral issue, and so we stopped her aggressive chelation protocol and slowed that down to a more standard. Actually, she was still still pretty aggressive, but not as aggressive as we'd taken her, and she really made a huge turn in the seventh week. Now, I do this new test on her. Mineral-wise, and here's what I find on her urinary challenge test. And now remember that when I do challenge tests, I'm not only looking at the toxic metals; I'm also looking at the minerals. And in her mineral levels, her zinc was off the chart, something like ten or twelve times the upper limit of normal, which means that she's got way too much zinc. So we don't need to supplement any zinc with her. So I told her that you know she shouldn't be in any zinc because she was just getting too much zinc. So it's not a big deal because we're chelating it, so it's not that big of a deal, but she didn't need to supplement with zinc. Sure, sure. When I do this spectroscopy test on her using the Oligo scan, Mm -hmm. I find that she's only deficient in one mineral, and guess what that mineral is? Zinc. Really? Yeah. So she's saying, well, what does this mean? How do we know which one's true, which one's real? Well, they're actually both real. It gave me a piece of information. Now, it's probably not fair for me to be even sitting here talking to you about this, Robert, because I've only analyzed about eight and a half million data points looking at urine, hair, fecal, and blood <laughs> yes. metals and minerals over the last you know, decade and a half. But what, when I saw this, it was – I mean it was like a huge screen in front of me that went off and showed me that I had been missing – pieces of information that now this technology will give me. What that showed me right away when I saw that zinc level being extreme high on one side on the urine, high, and low in the legal scan, what t- let me let me show off a little bit. Hold what, on. No, uh, after, after the break, I'm going to let you show off. We do have to take a break here. I'm fascinated okay. by what this uncovered after so many, so many analyses over so many years, how this new technology. We'll talk more about it and how you can access it as well today on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Very cool stuff. Very advanced, advanced medicine Monday version with Dr. Rashi Batar here. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Robert Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We are debuting a new technology, a scan technology here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Batar. Very, he's very excited about this. If you haven't been able to tell, he's right on the, the, the leap here as we had to take a break of revealing the kind of a, a missing piece of the puzzle. And it isn't, Dr. Batar, that you had been you know, sucking the eggs all these years without it. But boy, oh boy, when you got a tool that can help or enhance or, or, or make something much more efficient or more rapid, I mean, that's that's a breakthrough worth not only discussing but integrating. Absolutely, Robert, because for me, it was literally like somebody flipped on the lights and this big screen illuminated and I saw something that I would have otherwise missed. With a urine level of zinc that high, and I'm not talking about just elevated, I mean sky high, 14 times the upper limit of normal versus the other one, which was to the same extreme, but on the opposite side of the spectrum. 
So right away, well, I'm, again, as I asked you before, what do you think that would mean? I mean to you, since you're a homeopathic physician, you know that just what's in front of us isn't what the answer is. Does that give you some, some kind of um, – just that history, does that give you any kind of a Well, clue? there's certainly something related to zinc metabolism, but if we're talking about massive uh, influx or massive excretion, something is out of balance here. That's too It's so rapid that I don't know if you're getting a mixed signal, but it's certainly telling you what the body is doing. Absolutely. It's not a mixed signal, actually. It is a very clear signal, but it is telling you what the body is doing. And immediately I knew that I needed to work on this girl's gut more. Mm-hmm. Because here's what's happening. She's dumping a lot of zinc because her body can't absorb it, but her tissue levels are devoid of zinc. Right. So we were giving her zinc. She's expelling it. Her tissues are on the opposite side. You know, if I, like, with no zinc levels at all, if I give her more zinc, what's going to happen? It's not going to increase the tissue levels anymore. It's just going to increase the amount of urinary excretion of her zinc because she's obviously not absorbing it. Right. And that's exactly what we started doing was starting to deal with her gut and tissue integrity started- again. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful the way that that is put together. And, you know, even though I would say uh, we can utilize the homeopathic form of zinc again, just bringing it up here as far as better utilization, we still have to repair the gut. We still have to have that interface from the outside to the inside world. So what we put in actually gets in. Exactly. That's exactly right. And in this particular case, you know, probably a homeopathic version of zinc would have been better Mm -hmm. for the patient than just giving her zinc because – there, you're not dealing with volumes. You're dealing more, more with the energetic aspect of it. Right. I believe, as you said, however, that the key component was that she needed more work on her gut. Mm-hmm. And that actually is what seemed to have helped her turn the corner anyway. And I'm excited about it because, one, it's a non-invasive test. Second, it gives me actual tissue levels, which tells me really what's in the body, mm-hmm. uh, more so than some of the other technologies. Now, having said that, We've still got a lot of information that we need to decipher. For example, when I tested myself, I've never tested myself using the conventional methods of heavy metals because I never wanted to become complacent and then not continue with treatments. If I saw that my levels were down to normal and then say, oh, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't need the treatment anymore. I know how my mind works and so I just never bothered testing myself because I knew I was going to always do the maintenance protocol. Mm-hmm. And when we did my test, believe it or not, lead and mercury were off the chart with me. Now, actually not off the chart, but definitely, you know, in the high category, in the toxic category. And this was just maybe five or six days after having done an EDT and DMPS IV treatment. So the question is, why was my tissue level of mercury high? Well, it could be actually that we're cleaving the mercury off the peripheral end of the protein, which is where it actually has a propensity to bind to, to the self-hydro group that's hanging off at the terminal end of the protein. And it's a mobilization process that as the metals are starting to move through the body, Maybe it's remobilization. Maybe there is more levels in my tissue right now because as I'm, as the efflux is continuing, there's more deposition of the metals in, into the tissue area as it's coming out of the body, meaning that it has to go from the deeper reservoirs out into the periphery. So remember, lead, for example, is stored in bone, uh, cadmium within the lung parenchyma. Mercury within fat, that's one reason you find it in the myocardium of the heart and in the pericardium of the heart as well as in the brain. So we have to mobilize it from those areas out into the vectors where we can eliminate it, i.e. the hair or the gut or the kidney so we can expel it. But it has to go from the bone before it gets into the vascular system and be eliminated out through the kidneys. It has to go through the tissue. And so maybe that's one reason that my tissue levels are higher because I've got a constant efflux. There's a constant flow of these metals out of my system. You know that they've done 
autopsies on bodies that have been exhumed 20 years after the person died and they find lead levels in their bones, just sky high levels. Well, if you're pulling lead and mercury out of the body, it's got to come from those deep Deep levels, yeah, exactly. And so that may be the process, and that's one of the things we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing certain tests using the legal scan so we can better understand what we're seeing. We know that the results are accurate, but we also know that the body's a dynamic system. So now I need to take this data, which is relatively new, and incorporate it within the eight and a half, almost nine million data points that I have looking at urine, hair, fecal, and red blood cell analysis with heavy metals and be able to better utilize this phenomenal tool so that we can get even better and faster responses in our patients. Well, Dr. Patar, what, what about the economics at play here? Because we we definitely know there are a lot of folks up there recognizing the truth of what we said. If they've read your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, they recognize the metal environmental toxicology issue. But, you know, it's a daunting thing to get tested. Some people don't want to get invasive tested if they don't have to, for instance. Could this, by chance, is it possible, do you think, could it replace, maybe not in every case, but in a lot of cases, the need for like invasive testing? I think that it will uh, negate the need for testing in certain patient populations and certainly decrease the amount of testing that has to be done in the invasive realm. Um, meaning that for the autistic patient population, I think that it may end up actually allowing me to eliminate perhaps the red blood cell analysis okay. and actually use this in lieu of because it gives you one more information. But the other part is it's almost instantaneous results. It takes about two to three weeks for us to get the results back from a post-challenge test, whereas this, I can actually do it before and after a treatment almost and see the results right there. So they are certain components, and the test is actually a lot less, Robert. It's uh, going to, the cost to the p- patient is anywhere between 100 and $150. Uh, it, it varies. In, in Japan right now, it's a, more, it's about $200. But from an economic standpoint to the patient, it is a cheaper test. Well, compared but, to the, well, like the blood analysis, or the, uh, are we talking a lot more for those things? Uh, yeah, those are about 300 to $400 a test. Okay, so this is economically viable. This is another upgrade in terms of accessibility for the folks needing this. Right, but from a clinical standpoint, the, the rapid results and the frequency of being able to do the test and isolating specific points in time when certain treatments are done to see what the tissue burden is and, and how the tissue burden adjusts based upon the clinical intervention, that's where the power of this technology is. This is great, man. I love it. You know, like you said, we have covered issues of technology. Now, where we would say technological advancement is going backwards is like in the realm of genetically modified organisms. And and that's where we stand steadfast against these adulterations of, of, of human genome integrity or animal genome integrity. But this is really utilizing an advancement in technology for good. It's detection technology. It's non-invasive. It's giving us information so that we can actually restore integrity to the body that has been so corrupted by so many environmental insults, including and especially the vaccines and the metals coming in via the needle. Absolutely. That's a very, very big component as well because we don't want to harm the patient while trying to help them. The first rule in medicine is do no harm. So I appreciate that point that you brought up because too many times in the interest of advances we end up doing things that are backwards mm. yeah exactly so a very exciting new technological leap revealing today on the robert scott bell show with dr batar that's why we call it advanced medicine monday we aren't fooling around here
And Dr. Batar, I know as every time we we bring out something new like this, and, and rightfully so, people are going to want to know how they can access it. And this is something that is not very widely used here in America yet. You're one of the pioneers, of course, and we want to get people plugged into that. So we're working on that as we speak. Absolutely, Robert. You have my commitment that there will be a site that people can go to to find a provider mm-hmm. that they can get this testing done if they so desire. Great, great. Well, let's let's take a break here. We'll be back to wrap up the Advanced Medicine uh, Monday, I should say, version of the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Bittar. All the links are up. Of course, you can go to the archives at medicalrewind.com. The links to, of course, the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. If you're new, definitely pick up a copy of that. It will pay you dividends for years to come in your health and the health of your loved ones. So stand by. Question about breast cancer? Yeah, okay, we'll take it on after the break. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. As if Angelina Jolie and her willingness to remove her breasts, even though she didn't have breast cancer, wasn't absurd enough, now researchers in Great Britain, not so great anymore with this one, claiming that, hey, Dr. Batar, five years on tamoxifen is just not enough. We just got to double down on toxic drugs, estrogen receptor site issues. And yeah, 10 years, 10 years of tamoxifen now, we say, will reduce breast cancer recurrence. Hmm. That's unbelievable. There's natural substances that are estrogen blocking that are beneficial that women can take instead of tamoxifen and give them, you know, from the theoretical benefit that tamoxifen is supposed to have, give them the same theoretical benefit without inhibiting anything, without any of the toxic effects, mm-hmm. uh, any, any type of yam extract, uh, progesterone-based type supplementation will have the same effect, and yet they're still promoting tamoxifen. Isn't it amazing? I mean, these these uh, researchers, I guess the funding is such that they'll say anything in order to keep the, the, the money or gravy train rolling in, in this case, uh, you know, a tamoxifen gravy train. And, you know, Shane Ellison, a friend who I've had on over the years, he wrote a, a book about his experience in leaving the drug industry. He actually was one of the research chemists to work on that drug. And when he found out clinically and, and through the science studies that it caused cancer, he says, this is it. I'm out of here. And he turned on him. But, I mean, mm-hmm. th- you know, here they are. The scientists that didn't leave are now claiming, oh, no, no, fi- it wasn't good enough at five years. Ten years is now what we need. Yeah, Robert, it goes back to, I think, last week when we talked about the lady that wrote that article about the vaccine, the flu vaccine. Yeah, Heidi at Gaia Health. Yeah, she was awesome. Exactly, Heidi at Gaia Health. And she referred it to our agencies of health destruction Mm. instead of, you know, these bodies that are appointed to safeguard our health, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH. She called them the agencies of health destruction. But it certainly seems like these... Various organizations that are appointed to guard our health and and safeguard our future generations, um, they're they're just they're obsolete. Yeah. And those would be the agencies that you would think would look at the data that's been collected and then make that make that important decision that's necessary to prevent a lot of people from going down the wrong path. And of course, they haven't. And these type of studies come out and. I haven't looked at the study, so I really shouldn't critique it, but 
I just can't see any rational way that you should increase the use of something that's well, it's known to cause cancer and exactly. increase endometrial cancer as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're messing with hormone receptor sites. What do you expect? Now, I'm I'm going to ask you this: Do you think there's competition between the the oncological surgeons and those who are doing the you know chemotherapy like drugs? Because you know, why wouldn't Angelina Jolie when they frightened her with the BRCA gene nonsense? Why wouldn't they just say, "Hey, just take tamoxifen instead"? We're just going to lop off your boobies. You know, I'm sure that there is something. In the hierarchy, there's competition among these various uh, the oncological subspecialties. Yeah, the surgeons and the radiologists and the and the oncologists. Uh, I'm sorry, the internal medicine. So you've got the chemotherapeutic, the the chemotherapeutic oncologist. You've got the radiation oncologist, and then you've got, of course, the surgical oncologist. You would think that they probably would not be a, a conflict between them because they all are supposed to work together. But then just look at the subspecialty of oncology itself. So it's such a a profiteering type of a specialty and it's profiteering on the people dying. In other words, once you start somebody in chemo and radiation, their chances of survival exponentially go down. We all know that. Anybody knows that. And the medical profession itself knows that because when it's time to go give chemotherapy, the oncologists don't say, yeah, I have to go give therapy. They look at their watch and when they're in grand rounds with the surgeons, I know because I've been, when I was in general surgery residence, this is how it went. Oh, it's time I got to go poison a patient. That's exactly what the oncologist would say. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, it's it's a very well-known, established fact that most doctors themselves, when they get cancer, they don't go through chemo and radiation and very few go through surgery. In fact, of all the doctors that I've known in my entire career as a doctor, and I've been a physician now for 22 years, and that's kind of scary to when I even say that when I hear myself <laughs> yes. say that number, but that's what it's been. I graduated from medical school in 1991, and in those 22 years, Robert, I only know of one doctor who took chemo, and I only know one doctor that took radiation. Well, does that make the, the – uh, I know four or five that, took, that actually had surgery, but the rest of the 70, 80 doctors that I know that had cancer – Nothing. Does, does and that these are make, conventional guys. I know. I'm asking, does that make the oncological profession the most hypocritical of all of the uh, you know, subspecialties? I think that it probably does. Now, I don't know whether the, all these doctors, are, they, they weren't all oncologists themselves. Okay, what I mean gotcha. is this is the, in the medical profession itself. I mean, they were very right, spe- right. subspecialties. But it's widely known among doctors that if they get cancer, they just want to go fishing. Hmm. Time to retire. Interesting. They don't want to have to go and you know go through all that because they know what the outcome is going to be in their mind. They know that the outcome is going to be one of, you know, my life's going to end. So why am I going to go and put myself through that when I know that the outcome is going to be the same? Assuming that they believe that there's no other options, sure. They just don't want to do the treatments because they know how sick they're going to get. They know what the statistics are, and they would much rather just go and enjoy their last you know, six months or a year or whatever. And you know what? The surprising thing is mm-hmm. most of them outlive what their prognosis was because they didn't do anything. They unloaded the stress, about this. went and enjoyed themselves. Exactly. That's right. They, that enjoyment itself probably prolonged their life If and, and mm-hmm. half the prolongation, I'm sure, was just because of the abstination of the treatment itself. And in fact, there was a Russian study that was done and there was a Dr. Avazian who used to work for me who was a Russian doctor uh, he worked for me for a number of years, and he interpreted the study for me and basically translated it. And it was a very interesting study where they looked at two different populations of cancer patients. One was lung cancer and one was breast cancer. And they divided those 
two populations of cancer patients into two subgroups, a subgroup of the lung and the breast cancer patients that had no treatment whatsoever. They weren't even told to stop uh, anything negative that they were doing. They were not told to abstain from smoking cigarettes. If they were smoking cigarettes, there was no lifestyle modification. There was nothing. They just were told to continue doing whatever they were doing. The other subgroup of the breast cancer and lung cancer patients were treated conventionally. And what they found was at the conclusion of the study, that they, the people that had no intervention at all, no chemo, no radiation, no surgery, no anything, not even lifestyle modification, nothing, lived more than three and a half times longer than the group that was treated using the standard of care with chemo and radiation. I mean, that's more than incredible. three and a half times longer. Wow. But of course, they're not three and a half times longer on no treatment means no billing. And I think that, you know, that's a hint as to why I believe this whole idea of doubling down from five years to 10 years of tamoxifen is like, well, we got to get we got to get them while we can. Yeah, it's kind of like the same thing with the statin drugs, you know, the blood pressure medications. It used to be that uh, a cholesterol of 250, 275 was normal and then slowly started going down to 250, 225, 220, 210, 200. Now, you know, if you have a cholesterol over 175, they say you're a candidate for statin drugs. You know, it's hard to talk about modern medicine without using the word scam in almost every field or subspecialty when you think about it. And really what we should be thinking about is selenium and iodine and, and, you know, detoxing the metals. You know, all of these things leading to breast cancer manifestations as the body's desperately trying to isolate and detoxify through the lymph and put it into the fat cells. All the things we talk about. Yeah, it is. It is a scam, Robert. I think that you're exactly right. It's a scam against mankind. And I have said this numerous times. You've heard me say it. I even said it in the book that I believe that this time in history will be remembered as one of the most barbaric times in the history of medicine. And it will also be remembered as a time when the tables were turned and people became more aware because that is what's happening now. Well, well said, Dr. Batari. And that wraps up another wonderful edition of Advanced Medicine Monday. Again, encouraging everybody to plug into all of the healing that continues on even when we're off the air. One of the greatest places to go is to get the nine steps to keep the doctor away. If you haven't already done so, you will be very, very enhanced as far as your ability to care for yourself should you do that. And of course, anybody that you give that gift to. Dr. Batari, we got to wrap it up but again another wonderful uh, healing session with you and robert i just want to remind everybody about the advanced medicine seminar coming up on july 19th and 20th so don't forget that as well as we have just released the information on the cancun retreat at the website for advancedmedicineseminars.com beautiful thanks for plugging us all in and uh, we'll see you there and in the meantime all you got to do and of course remember that oligo scan we talked about we're going to have that up uh, during the week sometime so be, be aware of that in the meantime also remember that the power to heal is yours 